Hey, if you don't want to hear the recap of what happened last time on Arkham Horror and the prelude to this chapter of Arkham Horror, skip to 7 minutes and 23 seconds. Last time on Arkham Horror. Our intrepid adventurers stepped over the threshold of sleep and entered the dreamlands. Once there, they were greeted by the two keepers, Kaman Thaw and Nasht in the Cavern of Fire. By passing the keepers' trials, they were allowed to descend the 700 steps of deeper slumber into the enchanted forest the home of the Zoogs. As they neared the edge of the wood, more of the rodent-like creatures emerged, swarming out of the burrows and honeycombed trees. Soon, the whole forest was alive with them. They surrounded them and chittered in a language they could somehow understand. Intruders! They are with the cats. No, they followed the black cat, but the black cat is not here. Several of them emitted low growls as they began to close in. Just then, they heard a human voice call out, What is the meaning of all this? The owner of the voice was a blonde young man with an unfazed expression. He was flanked by a pack of angry cats. Then, to your ever-growing surprise, the cats spoke. Your tribute is late. The creatures chitter among themselves, and after a moment, a dozen of them retreat in the direction of the great tree beyond the beaten path. They return shortly afterward, carrying a variety of grouse, quail, and pheasants in their mouth. You're almost certain now that you are going crazy, and yet the spectacle continues. The creatures timidly drop their tribute of birds in front of the cats and quietly depart. My apologies on behalf of the Zoogs, the man says as he approaches. They are curious creatures, and not usually so agitated. It is good that we showed up when we did. The leader of the cats jumps up on a tree stump and adds, Yes, yes, them vile Zoogs have done their part. Now let's do ours and leave this forsaken place. What say ye? You cannot contain your excitement. Zooks, talking cats, everything you have read about is real. You begin to ask the man more about this world, but he cuts you off. I will explain in due time. For now, we must follow the path to the town of Ulthar. It is a safe place, relatively speaking. There you may recover from your travels. He turns to an old, scarred cat and utters a word in an odd language. A password of sorts, you suspect, and the cat replies with a quick nod. The rest of the cats, tribute in mouth, take a protective circular formation around you, and together you escape from the eaves of the enchanted forest. And now, the story continues elsewhere. Do adjust your set.
It's been more than 24 hours since your companions fell asleep. Over the course of the past day, your curiosity has slowly turned to concern and then dread. The problems began when one of your friends started to toss and turn violently in their sleep. You snapped to attention and tried to shake them awake, but <laughs> it was to no avail. You tried everything. Physical contact was no use, and water did nothing but soak their clothes in bed fruitlessly. Even opening their eyelids didn't wake them, and in the process, you noticed that their pupils had fully dilated and their eyes were glazed over with a milky white fog. You have no idea what this could mean for your friends. Have they managed to find their way to the land Virgil Gray described in his writings? Or something more sinister taken root within their minds and bodies? Just to be safe, you decide to take your companions to St. Mary's Hospital. Something ails them physically, perhaps the doctors there can discern what's wrong. Otherwise, you'll simply have to watch over them and hope that they return safely to the waking world. St. Mary's is the only hospital in the town of Arkham, and it's a fixture of its uptown neighborhood. You explain the situation to Nurse Greenberg there, the head nurse at the hospital, who instructs several other nurses to carry your companions into the emergency ward on stretchers. She tells you with a warm, friendly smile that your friends will be examined by Dr. Moss Warren. But other than that, you're left entirely in the dark. It's late at night, and the receptionist who instructed you to stay in the waiting room is nowhere to be seen. In fact, there are eerily few people roaming the halls of this hospital. With nobody to stop you, you sneak off into the emergency ward to find your friends. It doesn't take long for you to find their room. Your companions lie asleep on clean white cots. Their sleep anything but peaceful. They're pale-faced and sweaty. One of them tosses and turns in their sleep, their brow furrowed with pain and worry. Just then, you see a large hairy spider crawling on the chest of one of your friends. Dr. Maswaran brushes the spider off and says, well, that's odd. But several more emerge from the sheets to take its place. You and the doctor both take several steps back out of pure instinct, and you hear heavy footsteps in the hallway outside the emergency ward. The lights then begin to flicker. Dr. Maswaran looks at you anxiously and says, okay, that is more than simply odd. What in the world is going on here? For just a moment, you think you hear one of your sleeping companions whisper something. Are they indeed dreaming? And if so, what does their condition have to do with these strange events? Welcome back to Arkham Horror. Dark and hell is hot. Really? I thought hell was cold. No, isn't that a DMX album? Is it? I, th I think it is. I think that's the one that Rough Riders Anthem is on. I am actually going to go check that out after this. 
Well, you know where else it's dark? My basement. The dreamlands, baby. Oh, the dream your lands basement. Too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the dreamlands too. We'll go with the dreamlands. Yeah. Don't worry about my basement. Stop asking. Yeah, it's me. De- it's definitely dark in Scott's basement. Yeah. Well, welcome back to King of the Show. We are live from Scott's basement. It's very dark in here, and we have just finished another chapter of our Arkham Horror game. Yeah. We did. Yeah. Uh, you wouldn't be locked in my basement if you would talk about One Piece like I asked you to, but you know, it's uh, <laughs> we reap what we sow. Yes, uh, we did do episode two and technically an interlude of our new Arkham Horror campaign. That's right. Um, We are, we are as, as, as a a bit of a recap, um, we are currently playing through an Arkham Horror campaign, um, Mm -hmm. Arkham Horror LCG, the living card game by Fantasy Flight Games to be specific. And um, we are playing through the campaign known as the Dreamlands, Mm -hmm. which is a story game based off of the, the unknown, what is it based the, off of? The Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath is the... Yes, thank uh, you. It, yeah, and it's the Dream Eaters. I just wanted to make sure. The Dream Eaters. Yeah, the Dream Eaters is the campaign. And um, and we are currently on uh, Waking Nightmare. Yes. Um, ep, ep, uh, chapter, I guess, 1B, episode 1B, which uh, this is a little bit different from the last time that we played an Arkham Horror campaign because we're actually playing almost two parallel campaigns. You see there are two investigators that are in a dream, the, the dream world, the dreamlands to be specific. And there are two investigators that are in the outside real world. And these two campaigns are running parallel, trying to intersect uh, on a path to intersect rather. Right. And, and uh, so what are you thinking so far? I mean, I know you have some, some experience with this, but you were, you were telling me that this playthrough has been, a little bit different than the last yeah. time that you played it. Yeah. So to give my background on this, I made it to what do you want to call it? Chapters like this is chapter one B two episodes, I guess two episodes farther than you. I completed two B. So I know a little bit about what's coming. Uh, I also read the stories that this is primarily based on. There's a little bit of uh, the cats of Ulthar in there. There's a little bit of the dream quest of unknown Kadath and some other stuff later that I won't talk about right now. But in my last campaign, it was actually the campaign that I used to introduce a friend to the game because they wanted to give it a shot. And they said, hey, why don't we play one you haven't played? And at the time, this was the only one that we you and I hadn't collectively explored. So we went through it. And because it was just two of us and because it was his first time learning the game, we struggled a little bit more than we were struggling in this campaign. We're playing on the standard difficulty, which in and of itself is pretty punishing, right? But (laughs) we haven't really struggled with either of the chapters so far. So the experience this time has been a little bit different. In the first campaign, our last episode that we just gave a little recap of, uh, our dreamers are people that are in the dreamlands, the land of dreams. Uh, they had like an encounter with two guardians of the gate and went down some stairs and ended up in an enchanted forest where the game explicitly tells you not to go off the path. 
but you're clear. Yeah, you're, it was very, yeah. very high, high concept on yeah. this one, right? Like that, that first one, and and that's that's something that I just want to call out real quick too. Is just that the when you're in the dreamlands, it's twisty turvy. You know, that's not yeah. even a topsy turvy is what I was going for, but it's it's crazy how like MC Escher ish it is. You're going to really like the next episode because it continues that really high concept like mentality through everything that I've played so far. But yeah, like we were wandering through an enchanted forest. We barely fought anything. We just kept going off the path and like getting clues and stuff. And in today's journey, it was kind of the same story. We didn't really encounter much resistance. We just kind of. What like we're used to we've played a campaign on hard now. Yeah. We've played right. most of the game. We've tried lots of different decks. We kind of just methodically dismantled this, I feel, in a way. <laughs> it was still cool. There was still some stuff happening, but it, it wasn't really it was less of a horror game and more of a uh kind of like the feeling of going through like a first person shooter, right? Where you're just yeah. dismantling stuff. So Yeah, definitely. But yeah, today we uh we had an experience in a psych ward. Do you want to tell us a little bit about what happened? Yeah, I mean, um, so I, I really one thing that I loved about this specific chapter is uh, if I said that the dreamlands were very MC Asher ish. Yeah, I, I meant that in that both the art and the concept, right, where it's just like. Fantasy flight. Really, to restate this for probably the 200th time and I will say it a thousand more times before we're through really has, has this system down of how do you capture like an experience in a card game, right? How do you evoke yeah. an emotion to make, make it a, a level of immersion for the player out of a card game. Right. And so for the dreamlands, right. That's just, the wild things that you experience there, both what you see and like how the mechanics work, right? Like you were saying, the enchanted forest is just like, it explicitly tells you not to explore it, despite the fact that it tells you to explore it. Yeah. So like, it's those kind of things where you really feel like you're experiencing some kind of psychoses, (laughs) you know, while you're in there. And then you get to this psych ward that just feels like you are plunging into the depths, right? A very, very different experience. If if the Dreamlands were MC Escher-ish, this was an elevator that gets the rope cut off right before you start going down the shaft. It just plunges you down into this almost seemingly bottomless pit of despair. And yeah. that's it's it's achieved by both the artwork right because every piece of artwork here has just this drab abandoned awful feeling to it and it's not just that they are depictions of like an emergency room with blood spatter on the wall right it's that the lighting the way that the lighting is set up in the illustration is done so in a way where it looks like it's being illuminated by a singular can light that's swinging back and forth. Right. Mm -hmm. It's the fact that when you're in there, certain things about the room make it 
all that more thematically mechanically within the game that you're in this like hospital. Right. And so it was just such a different experience from like an immersive perspective. And I loved it for all the reasons that I love haunted houses, right. Where it's just like, you don't know what's in front of you and you just know you're going deeper into the madness with every step that you take. This does such a fucking unbelievable job of evoking that for me. Well, there's so the things that I like about this specific chapter, and it it does do this in some other uh, ones too, most notably the path to Carcosa we played before where like, it really makes you not only question your sanity, but question the state of the world. Like my, my favorite card that we saw in this one was the morgue. So what Chris was describing, you start out the game in a segment of like four interconnected areas, basically. And it's just like a drab hospital. There's the very plain waiting room. There's like a records room. There's two other locations, but the like the experimental psych ward, I think, is one or something yeah. like that. Mm-hmm. But it, nothing is spooky. As soon as you go to the basement, though, where you go to the morgue and there's a surgery room, the art is immediately warped. The morgue has just it's just a picture of a body under a tarp with the, the simple flavor text that doesn't look human. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What do you mean? What do you mean yeah. it doesn't look human? But there, we're dealing with spiders here, right? There's this weird spider infestation happening is this all of a sudden happening does it look weird because something is wrong right this second or was this pre-existing weird right yeah and you go to the Mm. surgery room and there's a spider crawling out of the open wound of the guy they just stopped surgery on for whatever reason right and you're like what do you mean are all the spiders coming out of people i don't understand the logistics of this right yeah it's that it's that feeling of seeing into the back room and it being weird, but you not even understanding why it's weird. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's we mentioned when we, you know, started started this campaign when we first started talking about it, that like it they they really managed to capture Lovecraftian style more than anything that really tries to like ape it. Right. Like yeah. you look at things that go for this mainstream rendition of it in um like lovecraft country right mm-hmm. and then you look at things like bloodborne which are like lovecraft adjacent and get a lot of what there is to get about lovecraft but it's just this nothing in bloodborne looks normal right like even the stuff that looks normal that's supposed to look normal looks normal to the hunters in this world not to you the human being player right. mm-hmm. versus like you are looking at this art, like you said, in the morgue, and it's just a standard morgue that you would be familiar with, right? Like mm-hmm. it's a, a morgue in a hospital that doesn't look human. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's, it's, it's that level of it, right? That they just really understand that it's about that really sort of procedural, uh, like pulling of the curtain, you know what I yeah. mean? And it's, no, no stone is left unturned, really, in that in that regard. Well, it's it's you can kill a monster. You can't kill a mystery kind of thing. Right. Where it's yeah, like, right. Mm-hmm. We could have gone into Morgan, a spooky monster. Right. And then you're playing <laughs> Bill Yorick, the crazy gravedigger, and you just smash a meat cleaver into him and he's dead. And then we say, well, that was cool or whatever. Right. 
Yeah, but instead, exactly. you get that line that you never get an answer to. That doesn't look human. What yep. do you mean? They they yeah. never explain that to you, right? That's yep. that's the fear. That is Lovecraft. So yeah, yeah. I I really like this from a from a thematic and an art perspective a lot. I thought that it was uh, one of the one of the better represented uh, chapters for that reason, just cause it really, really had that tinge of, um, reality, so to speak. Yeah. And I loved like so much of the outside art, like there's that enemy card, the suspicious orderly. Yeah. Right. And like this illustration, right. Is so unbelievable because like, <laughs> it's perfect it's this orderly it's like a 1960s orderly right like he's he's got like a white medical top on that's a high collar and short sleeve and it buttons like on the far breast side and uh, he's got like a old school green surgical mask on and it looks like the art the illustration as though you like this guy was sneaking up on you yeah with a syringe in his hand and you turned around and you scared him because he's like Ah, you yeah. know what I mean? And well, the the framing of it and the way that the lighting is done, it's just really let, so perfect. Let me talk about that card a bit, because that was a, a big feature of my last time through this that we didn't get to really experience. Where yeah, right. Early on in the thing, before the spider infestation, before things start getting weird in Lovecraft, that card is supposed to be a big pain in your ass. So when you start this chapter, you're introduced to what is basically an NPC, this Dr. Mahaswaran, right? This yeah. taking mm -hmm. care of your, your dreamer friends. And you have the option to take her along or not. And one of the abilities on her card is that you can exhaust her to just get rid of an orderly, right? The orderlies are like the hospital workers that are following you around because yeah. you're some nut job off the street digging up papers and stuff right so <laughs> yeah. when you're first in there it's like oh my god the orderly's watching me i can't inv the orderly reads that you cannot investigate you can't attack them you can't like you, you cannot interact with the orderly in any way other than try and evade them and while they're engaged with you you can't investigate yeah so which, it, it, you know investigate meaning look for clues in that location yeah and, and looking for clues is how you advance the game itself but so it starts off with this kind of, I don't want to call it innocent, but this idea of like, oh, they're watching me. I'm like, I can't break the law. I can't just bust into the records room and start rifling through shit. But then you get down to the basement and you're like, wait a minute. Are they not letting me investigate because of the weird shit happening here? Mm -hmm. Right. Is right. that the reason? So there's that, like, again, that depth to that card of, at first, it's an annoyance, and then it's like, oh, okay, something's really not right here. And then they turn into the corrupted orderlies that have been taken over by the spiders or whatever and become yeah. more menacing. Yeah, right. They actually are able, because, like, you can't attack the orderlies while they're in human form, right? Because you're in a fucking hospital, you know yeah. what I mean? Like, you're in there. You can't just go in there and start swinging on innocent orderlies. Yeah. You know? But, like, you know, like you said, it's like, uh, it's that... It's that added depth without there actually needing to be uh, a mechanic or even flavor towards it, right? Like, this is, like, really what gets gets me about this game in a lot of ways. And games that do this sort of thing um, design-wise is you, when, you get, when you get to the point where you're introducing mechanics without 
even introducing them from a narrative perspective, you've really like hit this sweet spot of storytelling, right? Like the yeah. orderlies, you know, like you said, like, well, they just, are they following me around because they don't want me investigating their actual records or is it because they know what's down in the basement? Right. Yeah. And they know, and they know that it's not human. Yeah. <laughs> right. You know, so yeah, let's talk about the infestation mechanic a little bit because this one was, was, was pretty interesting to me. Um, because I definitely get what you're saying about how it can get out of hand really quickly. Yeah. And that's something that this game really excels in is it excels in making it so that when things start, when shit starts rolling downhill, it's impossible to stop. Oh yeah. So this really feels like another one of those things where it's like, it stacks the deck quick. And when it gets the deck stacked, it just topples and never stops. Yeah. So in our last chapter, the only real combat we got into is with these little creatures called the Zoogs. And it was more of like an exploration thing. We were exploring the tower. We were exploring the forest. This time, we eventually rescue Randolph Carter, who we also met in our previous episode. We'll have to talk about that in a minute. But uh, we rescue basically Randolph Carter from the basement of the asylum where he's been committed, apparently, right? And then you're asked to go back out but while you've been in the basement and otherworldly infestation of spiders has taken over the hospital and it introduces a new chaos bag. I think we talked about the chaos bag in our last we episode, did. which is it's basically this game's replacement for dice. It's tokens in a bag you pick out so that you can control. It's basically as many sides of a dice as you want and the, the you control the sides of the dice because you control what yeah. tokens go in. Right. But anyway, we, we introduce a new bag and we're asked to draw from this bag. If we draw a skull, we spawn a spider enemy. If we draw a slate, we basically get a free pass for the turn. But if we draw an agent token or a cultist token, the infection spreads. And it uh, the different areas of the hospital and the asylum can get taken over and infested. In my previous game, we weren't as fast. And by the time we had actually rescued Randolph, more than half of the hospital had been infested. Oh, shit. So it was spawning tons of spiders and it was just it was a mess. And by the time we got to our final objective, which was in order to win, you have to close every infestation in our game where we only had to seal two. In my previous game, we had to seal six. <laughs> And yeah. <laughs> we were already further along in the game than we were previously. So it became this kind of mad scramble to get to every room and seal the infestation off. Right. Yeah. It's, I mean, because it's just, it's simply, I mean, to put it simply, it's just something. It's something for the game to make you hurry your yeah. fucking bitch ass well, up. It's, you know? a, it's a ticking clock, but it's a ticking clock that, grows exponentially right it's not it's yeah. not just that you only have so many turns left it's you're watching this thing grow and expand into this ever-increasing threat yeah and they describe these spiders as seemingly coming out of nowhere as well right which is something interesting to consider uh from a narrative perspective but you know 
I mean, don't get me wrong. I, I saw the box art. I knew that we were getting into some spider bullshit, but I mean, does it? Does it got to be spiders? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> like, it gives you, know you the, what I mean, like of the, all cre- things. Yeah, it gives you the creepy crawlies. But that's. I think that's one of the good things about this too is that it's like, it's, it's metaphorical, right? spiders spin webs and like the web of dreams and dream catchers and all this kind of like imagery. Right. I think that it's a really good thematic intro, but then also it leverages the swarming mentality. I think better than the Zoogs do. So every expansion of Arkham horror introduces a new enemy mechanic. The one for this campaign is swarming where enemies will literally take cards from your deck, stick them under themselves and then treat itself as like multiple copies of a thing. So Chris drew a spider that was swarming too. So Chris took the top two cards of his deck and put it under the spider. So now he was fighting three spiders, right? Individually weak, but several of them you have to fight. And the idea it plants this idea in your head of this like literal wave of spiders crashing down on you. It's not as simple as this one single card in me. I need to beat It's I got to keep squashing these things. And then like, I might be built to deal out a ton of damage, but I can't just hit them for two or three or four damage or whatever. Cause that only kills one of them. And this horde of them is coming towards me. Right. Right. So, yeah, it's uh it's a really really interesting um you know I don't want to say win mechanic, but it's almost like a, a win/lose mechanic, right? Like I I I appreciate that there is this infestation bag that's separate from the chaos bag. Right. But I got to say, dude, encounters suck my fucking ass. Yeah. Like they suck it hard. It's it's to the so like when I saw that the infestation deck was the thing, I was like, oh cool. This is gonna replace the encounter deck while the infestation is nope, it's nope, both it's stacks. It's just both, yeah. And like this is one of the things that that I get into when I start to sort of lament a lot of the things about this game is that when I had that realization that it was both, it just felt like so deflating because i was just like oh we got to deal with both of these fucking things <laughs> yeah well i think it's one of those things where it doesn't it doesn't feel good to have to deal with shackles yeah. right a lot of the encounter cards are more shackles than they are challenges there's not this feeling that okay, I'm slowly building myself up to challenge more and more challenging situations. Like, it's not that I start the game only being able to challenge skill tests or fight monsters that require numbers of two or three or four, and I need to be able to tackle sevens. It's this constant battle of attrition of trying to hang on to your cards trying not to have things be discarded trying to actually take your turn i got two of the encounter cards in this that make your first action of a turn 
cost two actions of your three. <laughs> so yeah. I basically lost like an entire turn and a half of my life just because yeah, I drew right. a card. Right. And yeah. it's one of those things where I'm sure we talked about this last time where thematically it makes sense. But gameplay wise, like you said, it's just deflating. It's just like, oh, well, yeah. Well, so to your point about like building up to get to um, kill stronger and, and bigger and better enemies, like I think that's one of the things that really bums me out about Arkham Horror in general is that I you just naturally want things to build towards a crescendo. Yeah, and like it's it's more of a try to keep this from fucking just plummeting yeah than it is building towards a crescendo <laughs> to the point where like i remember some of our like the dunwich horror campaign right the dunwich conspiracy in this you actually fight yog satoth at yeah. the end of it and and like you should when you're getting to yog satoth yog satoth in lovecraft yeah. lore is like he's like cthulhu's yeah, dad the, the keeper like, in the gate yeah yeah so like you you build to this thing and it should feel like holy shit right it should feel like it feels when you get to moon presence at the end of bloodborne where you're just like oh my god right it builds to this crescendo and then you whoop his fucking ass but instead like you it in arkham horror it's like you get to yoke the toast and you're just like oh he's gonna kill me in one fucking hit <laughs> yeah like, well, and it's not really a crescendo. Yeah. Well, it, I think, too, like, I remember when we were first talking about getting into it, I sent you a review from one of my favorite YouTube channels, Shut Up and Sit Down. You remember yeah. those guys, right? Yeah. And mm -hmm. I remember very clearly in the review, they praised the game as, like, a common problem with cooperative board games is something that people call quarterbacking one person with the best grasp of the mechanics decides everything the party does. Yeah. And the, he said that Arkham horror was great because you can't quarterback because you don't know what is in everyone else's deck. And I disagree because yeah. I, th I think as an extension of that problem, it's not even necessarily that I quarterback. I think it is just that a lot of the time we look at each other and we say, okay, the statistical best thing to do is this. And it is obvious that it is this. It's it's not, Chris, that you get to equip your cool weapon. Sorry, you can't equip your cool weapon this turn. You need to go investigate that thing over there. I need yeah. you to do that. Right. Right. It, yeah. it doesn't become this exercise in like, like you said, there's there's never a crescendo. You, you yeah. got it right at the very beginning. No. It's, it's just doing the statistically best thing to avoid a total failure scenario all the time. Yeah. Yeah. It's the, the, the big win moments, the victory moments come in those like realizations where it's like, Oh, I'm a, we haven't, we can just fucking, we can close this. We can seal this room off and we can just go win the round right now. Yeah. Right. Where you're just like, hell yeah. We played our cards, right? Mm -hmm. Pun intended. To at the beginning of the at the beginning of the round, we got lucky. We got enough clue. We can just kill it now before the infestation gets out of hand, right? Or you're fighting an enemy, right? And like you are able to, you have the cards in your hand to stack damage enough to kill them in one hit. It's never a big win moment of we planned 
for this to go this way right. when we started and it worked because this game does not want you to execute plans. It wants to cut the legs off your plans. Yeah. Which, which again, thematically appropriate, but it needs to be said that every campaign thus far has has suffered from this problem. Well, it because it, it flies in the face of the spirit of a card game and an RPG. On paper, like Chris, we've played now a couple of competitive card games too. Like playing yeah. the appeal of playing something like at Android Netrunner and playing lots yeah. of games like this, engine building games is building a machine and putting your love into it and watching it fly. Yeah. Right. It's the deck, the deck. I'm not sure if you remember it, that I created the one time we were playing that like had this weird combo of a, a persona, a hacker persona and one card that he could just keep bringing stuff back from his graveyard. Right. Yeah. And mm -hmm. watching that fly is like so fulfilling. Like that. this is yeah. a, this is a part of me that is yeah. working it's is my creativity right well that's that's why they call it an engine right because like you you put all the pieces in place and then when you turn the key it just runs yeah right mm -hmm. it's no that's exactly right because there's engine building games too like the yeah. wingspan that uh, mm -hmm. the popular game just came out it's an engine building game that it's not like a card game but then you take it a step further and when we first were looking at this we're like what you can level up you can yeah. buy cards with experience. This is so cool. But then what's the point when you, you invest all your experience into getting the flamethrower? Fuck yeah. I'm going to burn these Cthulhu up. Well, uh, I drew an encounter card and I put it in my graveyard. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Very cool. Right? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> right. And that's that's the thing is like, you know, the big wins come in those small moments when just the stars align, so to speak. But I really think this game could use an, an injection of that, you know, higher, like bigger brained kind of thing. Right. Like letting the players come up with an engine that they can execute with relative frequency. Right. right? Like there were those times where you were maining Diana Stanley, the mystic investigator that can just continue to churn out spells. Yeah. Right. Mm -hmm. And there was, there were, there were times where we'd play around and like the engine would get going and you would just keep pulling out th these like scrying spells nonstop. And you were just like, Oh, enemy over there. Enemy's dead. Oh, you could, there's an enemy over there in the other room. I can hit that one too. You know yeah. what I mean? And then we'd play like a couple nights later and every fucking time you'd like try to get it going. The game would just, you know, Cthulhu token you yeah. or like an encounter card would make it so that like, oh, well, you can't play. You can't play mystic cards now. You know what I yeah. mean? Well, it's 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 the thing, the 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 crushing problem of the game in terms of like casual enjoyment i can see people really liking this for the all the reasons we talked about right yeah yeah absolutely like it's like the uh the meme is like why can't i hold all these lemons it's why can't i hold all these problems right like it's <laughs> yeah. people might enjoy it for that reason but the crushing problem at least for what we're looking for is that all of the challenges like you said are just their kneecaps it's not yeah that the monsters get bigger or the skill checks get bigger. So you need to build an engine. It's you need to 
oh god there's holes in the engine oh god why do the holes keep coming i don't have enough tape right like yeah it's, you, you feel you feel pathetically weak which yeah in again thematically Cthulhu. <laughs> yeah sure obviously you feel pathetically weak but yeah when you sit down to play a board game after a long day's work or whatever right doesn't feel good yeah. to get kicked in the nuts 20 times so yeah well you know and that said that's why that i think that as the campaigns have you know gone along and as the game has developed and and they've tried new things i think we're at a place now with uh the dream eaters right where it still suffers from the same problems but the mechanics are so interesting and narratively interwoven so interestingly that it, it it stings a lot less than it did in a lot of the earlier campaigns, right? Like right. in Dunwich, that one, the I can't remember which chapter it was. It was one of the earlier ones, but it was just like everything we tried was com- it, like we either would fail the skill check or we would be like we would draw an encounter card where it was like you must discard your your weapon asset and it's yeah. just like well my engine's gone the thing that i'm good at is gone i need yeah. the machete right. i am the damage dealer i can no longer deal damage right it stings a lot less in dream eaters because it's it's things like Hey, put this in your in your in your hand, so to speak, right? Somehow. And if you fail a skill test, do this. But it's not quite like just get rid of things and yeah. you know, you know, screw you and your plan. So they've definitely evolved it to a point where it's not quite as big of just a, a knife through the heart, right? As the earlier campaigns are, but it is still there. Yeah, I think it's also just narratively more interesting too, like. I may not if the only thing that existed was the Dunwich horror, I would be done with this game because yeah. for all the reasons we've listed, like I don't feel the need to like try a lot of new characters because I know they're just going to get kneecapped the same way. Like I could spend mm-hmm. a lot of time coming up with this awesome deck concept, but it's not going to be Joe fun. Diamond works. Yeah, this is Joe Diamond works or even like Diana Stanley, like we i think we i think the last time we played we thought about it for a second and then said nah it's too good where it's yeah. just like <laughs> you get a thing that works and yeah. why would you play anything else diana doesn't have to play with the encounter deck at all yeah that is op say no yeah, yeah it's op and it's fun because you never have to get punched in the dick right yeah it yeets the most punishing part of the game yeah so You don't have that. But then in the Dreamlands, because it's a parallel campaign, we have these narrative mechanics of we did an interlude today. Yeah. And we met a black cat, a cat of Ulthar. Did you read the cats of Ulthar story? I haven't read either of these. No, I should, though. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, So we met a cat of Ulthar and we were presented with options to either make our campaign easier in the dreams, make the campaign in the real world easier, or just like these kind of neutral options. Either I straight up don't trust you, black cat, go fuck yourself. Or, um, the like, Hey, we don't need you to like do anything, but just go tell them about the dreamlands. Yeah. Which is what we did. And then the black cat shows up and I, I swear this is not because I played this before. I had the exact same reaction when we when I played the game before and Randolph Carter was in both places, Randolph Carter 
is a major Lovecraft character. He is one of the few named characters that is in multiple stories and mm-hmm. is like a major character, a main character. He is the main character of the Dream Quest of Unknown Kadath. So you meet Randolph Carter in the Dreamland at the end of the scenario. And he introduces you to the cats of Ulthar and he's taking you to find Virgil Gray, this guy that's like critical to the story. And then you play episode two. And he's in the fucking basement of the asylum. And I was playing this with my buddy and I was like, what? What do you mean? And he he had the same reaction of you did of like, well, what what's the problem? Like he's in two places at once. Right. Yeah. Right. We did an interlude today. And we sent the black cat from the dreamland to go tell our real world party. Hey, this is what the dreamlands are like. And this is what we're doing. And because of the decision we made, the black cat takes one look at Randolph Carter and he's like, you know what? I had a message for you, but never mind. I have to look into something else now. And he goes back to the dreamlands, right? (laughs) That's a good mystery. That's like, what, what the fuck? How is this dude in two places at once? What is happening right now? Right? Yeah, absolutely. And you don't really get something like that in Dunwich. There is a mystery, but nothing that you're really narratively interacting with. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. There's a lot of um, it's very I mean, Dunwich is super straightforward. It's just, you know, you know, start of the scenario thing happen. End of the scenario. You know, it's uh, it's real straightforward and it's real. It's real arkham horrory in a sense where you kind of just you fight a lot of shit and you kind of deal with uh uh you know some some lighter mechanics but there's this just really and like you said like similar to path to carcosa there's this really just rich narrative that has a lot of really good hooks in it to keep you kind of coming back for more and this is really i think where they need to lean into and for i mean it seems as though they are but this is what they need to lean into to make a lot of the shit that we you deal with through the game sting less right yeah make it feel a lot a lot you know a lot easier to handle easier to take because like like you you know like you said uh, when we first started talking about it when you when you die in this your characters aren't dead right they just take they're incapacitated until the end of the scenario and they take permanent damage. You can just continue the campaign. Right. But it still doesn't feel good. Yeah. Right. When that happens. Well, you have to have something worth it. Like I'll, I'll do an, like an example. I'm sure you have a similar one is like, so I just played Bayonetta and I'm working on Bayonetta too. I am not playing Bayonetta for the story. Bayonetta story is fine. Right. But the reason I'm playing it is I feel like a god when I am playing Bayonetta. Right. Yeah. I have this really awesome move set and I can do all these cool things. I played God of War on PS4 and I hate that game. I hate its combat, at least. I think the camera is really bad. I think the combat is boring. I think the RPG elements are stupid and unnecessary. But I played that game to see that narrative. Yeah. It is a really good story. Yeah. Right. Yeah, you need something to push through. Same thing here. Like, I don't like playing this game Yeah, <laughs> when I get hit with that tentacle token. Right. Yeah, it, it stings. But I want to fucking know if one of these Randolph Carters is fake. Right. Yeah. And what's yeah, happening. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah. They've definitely tapped into it. Right. Which is like 
and that's not to say that the game is not enjoyable to play it very no, much no, is, no, right but like it it is it's it's a lot of fun because we're moving into getting the um upgrading our cards right like that's the next big thing that we're going to do before moving on to the next big part of the the story and upgrading the cards like like as scott mentioned before it doesn't really mean a lot in the long run but it does in those smaller moments that I was talking about, right? Like when you draw the upgraded enchanted blade and you're like, I'm going to have five charges to dunk on these motherfuckers, right? Yeah. That's not, that's where it gets a lot of fun. You're getting cards that are just generically better. Like it's yeah. a lot of the times just removing downsides from already good things. Like, yeah, like right. the mystic characters will get spells that lose their downsides completely or they can be used more or you'll get better weapons right so yep. it's not you're not getting cards that are completely changing the way you play but you are getting you're you're removing cards that you may draw that you may like it may be a dead card if mm -hmm. i draw a i'm just going to pick on beat cop for a second right if i draw a beat cop in the middle of combat odds are that's not going to help me a whole lot right right like mm -hmm. sure it might like tank some health but i might need a weapon right now but if you upgrade and you get like the fucking fbi or whatever that is right the bureau yeah right it's like okay this card is huge also i can use its abilities to straight up like do damage or straight up investigate right like yeah this right. is better than this thing or this better guns so, yeah, it just it doesn't add anything dimensionally to the way that the characters handle so much as it does. Like like you said, like just enhances native things that you're already doing in the game. Yeah, but it is fun because, you know, experience number go up, spend number. Yeah, get get bigger, better cards. Well, you the, know? Car the cards are themselves intrinsically cooler too. like mystics get access to new spells. They never had like one that seals the tentacle token. My favorite spell in the game. I'm yeah. going to buy that first thing next session. So I never <laughs> have to see that fucking tentacle token ever again. But yeah. Yeah. So they, there, there is that level to it, but I, like you said, man, I'm really excited to see where this narrative goes because um, the Randolph Carter mystery is definitely one that I want to see through to the end. Yeah. And I think you're really going to, I still know about the next two. I believe we did the next two. Uh, and I'm really excited to see your reaction to the next one because I think it's one of the best scenarios I've played in Arkham Horror yet. Well, I'm definitely looking forward to seeing it because so far outside of the path to Carcosa, Dream Eaters has been really really like some of my favorite shit that we've played in the game yeah well we will be back the next time that we want to play arkham horror yes but next week is the continuation of the wrestling arc if you haven't heard the first three chapters of the wrestling arc they are indeed available at themanyfolds.com as well as all of the rest of the episodes of king of the show at themanyfolds.com on spotify apple Podcasts, tune in amazon and google wherever you get your podcasts come say hi at twitter at the many folds and on instagram at the many folds and um don't say hi on twitter at my personal handle because i haven't tweeted from it in a long time i think that's everything what <laughs> what uh what do you got on tap uh, until we come back next week, Scott. 
Psychonauts 2. <laughs> Just Psychonauts 2, huh? I'm vibrating. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, can't wait to hear about it. Until yeah. next time. The real horror is my internet search history. <laughs> See ya. King of the Sea. Hello, and welcome to St. Mary's. Do you have an emergency? Hello, um, yes, it's, it's a little, little embarrassing, though. I don't, don't really want to say it out loud. Oh, sir, I understand, but there's nothing to be embarrassed about, and I do need to know what the nature of the issue is so I can get you the help that you need. It, um, it, well, it, it burns when I, you know... Ejaculate. No! I mean, yes, but no, no, it's, it's not a, it's not a sexual thing. I, I think I have an UTI. UTI. Sir, are you trying to say U-T-I? Yeah, yeah, yes, yes, I guess. UTI, U-T-I, this is what you call it. Yes, I, I, fine, yes. Okay, sir, not a problem. Completely understood. More common than you would think to, especially for someone of your stature. Now, I do have a couple other questions. Uh, first and foremost, did you travel alone today or did someone bring you here? Uh, yes, my my, my right back there. He's... Stop it. He's... He's there. Okay. Right this way, sir. Thank you. Disgusting spiders everywhere. This isn't me, is it? 